0: Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. So this man, a paralysed man, let's join this man on his mat. And just imagine what it would be like for this man. He's been there for 38 years, as long as I've been alive. There you go, that's how old I am. He's been there paralysed. Just imagine the kind of emotional and inner turmoil that he would have gone through so i got covid in november last year and i I think i'm just now getting out of it and i i think i went to some fairly low places back in april may and like emotionally this man has been there for 38 years without any way in which he could foresee a way out of this situation imagine the kind of not just physical crippling that he would have gone through but the emotional crippling as he lies on this mat and watches the world go by stuck watches other people enjoy the normal pleasures of life watching other people just use their legs and enjoy getting from a to b enjoy other people going to work the small simple pleasures that he can't partake in and this is this man paralyzed 38 years imagine the kind of hopelessness that would have crept into his psyche this inability to get anywhere and this is where we find him and the only place that he now knows to turn to is this this pool and this pool we know is now a historical thing. For many years, it was used hundreds of years ago to discredit Christianity because it's like, where are these pools? It's by the Sheep Gate, but no one could find the pools. In 1876, they actually, there was an archaeological dig that found these two pools with these five-sided colonnades, which is interesting because you think, how can a pool be five-sided? Actually, found there were it was two pools. kind of was a spring bubbling up and there was four sides and one colonnade going through the middle so this archaeological dig actually verified this passage of scripture which helps us see that at the very least we have to deal with this as objective reality we can't just leave this as a as a mere fable or an inspiring story so that we can be kind to our neighbor there is far more that we have to deal with if this is actually true and what jesus did was true And so this man, he comes to this pool and the the tradition goes, or went, that every now and again an angel would descend and stir up the water, this kind of like bubbling, jacuzzi-like healing pool that would arise, and the first person who would get into the pool would be healed of whatever illness or sickness or disease they had. If you're the second person, no luck. First person, you could go in. And we, we don't know all the ins and outs. It was this kind of rumor, this tradition that had um, kind of arisen around this pool. It looks like it was actually linked to a, a spring, so there could have been some, uh, like a spring like thing that was bubbling up every now and again. But one historian estimates that there were around, normally around 300 people who would be gathered around this pool. And that number would grow to around 3,000, he estimates, we don't know, during festival times. So this was, this was a, a large gathering place for men like this man who was paralyzed as they placed their hope in this pool. Hope against hope. And, and it seems like this man over the years has essentially lost all of his Hope that he will ever be healed. Because when Jesus comes to him and says, Do you want to be healed? which is a super bizarre question because if he went into any ICU and said, Hey, do you want to be healed? you'd be like, That's why I'm here. Like, that's why everyone was gathered to this pool. Like, that is literally the reason. But he, what he's doing, he's eliciting, he's bringing something out of his heart attitude. And what we find is actually he has lost all of his hope that actually anything else will happen because he doesn't answer with a simple yes. He answers with this. He says, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool. He's just thrown his hat. he's despondent. He's become cynical when the water is stirred up and while I'm going, another steps down before me. He's given up hope. He's like, I, I didn't think this is my life now. So we find him, we've got to just contemplate this man. Because John, when he writes this gospel, he's inviting us continually to reflect on our own life. He calls these things signs, and at the end of John's Gospel, or John's Gospel, whichever way you want to call it, we'll call it John's Gospel for now. At the end of his Gospel, he says there are many other signs, and these were done so that you might have faith in Jesus Christ and know that He's the Son of God. So these things are to teach us about spiritual realities to take us to Jesus, and he's inviting us to continually reflect on a bigger, deeper reality in our souls. So it's a normal sign, like if you were driving to Brighton, for example, you say, I'm going to go to a day trip to Brighton, and you jumped in your car, and the first sign on the edge of the motorway, so there's a sign that says Brighton, you know, M-whatever, and you pulled over and got out of your car, took a selfie with the sign that says Brighton, and you, you, know, you look around and you think, well, oh, it's smaller than I imagined, but I guess this is nice, it's bright, and it doesn't look like quite the picture I saw on you know, Google, but like, and then you got in your car and then drove home again. You obviously know you've misunderstood the purpose of the sign. The sign was to take you to the better, beachier reality that is Brighton. the sign takes you to somewhere better. And in this moment, we have what John calls a sign to take us somewhere spiritual, a better, bigger, deeper reality And so what John is inviting us to do is reflect and see ourselves in this story and in this man. That in the physical healing of this man, there are spiritual lessons about our own condition that we can learn about. This man wanted a better life, right? He was hoping, he was here by this pool because he wanted something better out of life. He wanted to get up and walk and do things normally. And all of us today are in exactly the same position. However good things are on the externals, there are still elements of our life, aren't there, that we think we want that to be better. We want relationships to be fixed. We want a relationship, we want to have a relationship. We we want a different job. We want um, our financial situation to be better. We want our circumstances to be better. Some of us physically are unwell and dogged by this. And you say, I want this to be better. A study was done i just read it last week and it was done just before covid and in a a survey was done and they found that 63 percent of people in britain said that british society is broken and they would rather it be different that was pre-covid that was just before covid hit and now with all the political turmoil the financial turmoil and the pressure on the nhs and all the illness and etc 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 we are well aware aren't we that like life is broken there isn't much happy chipper optimism that goes around. We're actually, I would suggest, a quietly cynical society in the West. Because we've tasted a lot of things and it's slipped through our fingers and we've realized that it actually hasn't fixed some of the deeper inner spiritual realities that we actually hoped it would. And so we're still left with this desire for a better life. And where do we go to? I mean, some of us go to literally kind of religious, quasi-religious places, but a lot of us have our own pools that we go to. Not to the Sheep Gate, the Pool of Bethesda here, but we go to other places. If you want a relationship, you might sit next to your relationship app, whatever it might be, hoping that the next swipe, you will find the one. Hoping this will take you to your next plane, your better plane of life. You're looking at jobs all the time on LinkedIn, hoping that this job or this house, or if you can save enough and buy your own place or get this place with a garden or whatever it might be, your circumstances, if you can just find this place, then you will move to the plane of your life. You will move to that better place. Because we're all hoping for some improvement. Uh, Am I connecting here, is anyone? Okay. (laughs) Just bring some honesty into the... uh... We all have our own pools, and it's worth just reflecting, like, what are the pools that we're hoping on that actually gonna, if this is sorted, if I can just get my life sorted, bat away all these issues, quieten down my life, then I can just settle into what I really want. All these ways in which we're just waiting by our pool, and if we can just get in there, then... And for a lot of us, it's it's actually just religion. It's like we've got our Bible reading plans there next to us. We've got these hopes. You know, a lot of us, have got Nicky Gumbel, Bible in a year. It's kind of there by our side. And we're like, I will have this plan. I will put this in place. And then everything, if I can just enact this, if I can get to my Bible reading plan, then my life will be better. And yet what happens is very often, you know, we don't make it to our Bible reading plan. We don't make it to what the next reading is and et cetera. And we're left with this kind of sense of helplessness because even when we do get there, even when we do get in the pool of our plan to become a better spiritual us, It doesn't actually seem to fix us on the inside There was no evidence that this pool actually worked We don't know There's no evidence that actually people walked out of this place healed It was a rumour And religion works like that If you do these things Then you will improve spiritually If you get yourself in order If you are strong and religion always plays to the strong If you are the first one in If you can sort yourself out morally Then you can get there to God Then God will be pleased with you And yet all of us actually spiritually find ourselves, like this man, paralyzed, stuck by the side of this pool. And it's left a lot of us, I think, quietly cynical that our life could actually be better. A lot of us now live our lives vicariously through others on social media and YouTube and the Internet and through books. Christians do this. Jackie Pullinger, who some of you know, she as a young teenager, teenager from Croydon, got a one way ticket to China to serve those who were addicted to drugs and prayed them out of addiction and introduced them to Jesus. She is a she is a crazy risk taker for Jesus. And there was an interview with her just two years ago or so when she basically tells the Christian church in the West off. And she's like one of those ladies who can do this. And you're like, yes, ma'am, I listen to you. You know, she's stern, she told us off for living our Christian life through her and the book that she'd written, Chasing the Dragon. She said, too many Christians vicariously live their life through other Christians and their biographies. They never get up and do their own thing. They just think, I'll just watch you go by and do your thing. Christians, we sometimes do that. We actually, we don't, we're still on our mats and we just read biographies and watch other people and we watch another one minute kind of inspiring Instagram thing about praying, like, wow, they've really got it together. And then we just trundle on with our life spiritually stuck on our own mat. And into all of this walks Jesus. That's the low point of the message. Into all of this walks Jesus into this crowd we don't know thousands maybe he picks himself through the crowds and he finds this one man we don't even know his name this one man and he asks him do you want to be well and he just expresses this kind of helplessness like it doesn't even answer the question i've tried i'm here it's not going to happen i can never get there and jesus simply bypasses his helplessness bypasses his cynicism bypasses all that he is and he says to him get up take your bed and walk and at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked at which point all the congregations say hallelujah praise jesus this man has been healed and we close our bibles the band come up sing a praise song and we go home because it's another story that we watch here's a man in his but actually this is, not, this, this is just the introduction because John in, chapter, in verse 9, at the end of verse 9, he says this, and this is really the beginning of the meaning of what has just happened. He says, now that day was, was the Sabbath. And this is where it gets interesting because this is not just about a man being healed, which we praise God for and we pray for. This was something about your future and my future and everyone who will trust in Jesus' future. Jesus is doing something profound, a little bit cheeky, and very hopeful. Because Jesus knows this is the Sabbath, right? Like, everyone knows in Jerusalem this is Sabbath day. The religious leaders were around literally watching people make sure that they didn't break the rules. And in that day, so you've got to understand how how precious the Sabbath was was to the religious leaders at this time. So God said, didn't he, "Keep keep the Sabbath holy. And the religious leaders developed 39 different categories, not just rules, categories of ways in which you should now keep this. Do you want to know, like, some of the discussions the rabbis had? I think it's like, OK, I'll tell you. You're not nodding, but thank you. Hila. I'm going to tell Hilly. OK, here are just two discussions they had, rabbis of the day. So they, one of the discussions was, so if they find a hen that has an egg underneath it on a Sabbath day morning, should you eat that egg? So not a hen, an egg. If you find an egg underneath a hen, right? Should you eat that egg on a Sabbath day morning? Because here's the conundrum. You don't know when that egg was laid. Was it laid pre-Sabbath, in which case the hen had not worked on Sabbath, it was okay to eat? Or had it been laid after the Sabbath had begun, in which case the hen had worked on Sabbath and you shouldn't partake in the work of Sabbath? That was a genuine discussion Rabbi Sad. had. Here's one more. If your mother, who was elderly, fell and tripped in a field could you go and get her on a sabbath day so you could legitimately on compassionate grounds but here comes the conundrum that was a genuine discussion that rabbis had if you were to take a stretch out to help your elderly mother field elderly mother who was in the field uh, to bring her back if one of the poles of the stretcher dropped and went into the ground it might have dug a little hole into the ground and digging was forbidden so what do you do then? Do you leave it in the ground and your elderly mother and go home and say, I'll see you tomorrow morning? Or do you carry on on compassionate grounds? This is how carefully the religious leaders took the Sabbath. You get my point. You were not allowed to carry things to, for work on the Sabbath. And what does Jesus do deliberately, knowing what was going, knowing there are religious leaders around the temple courts? He says, get up, take up your bed and walk. Knowing, like, I don't know if he even said, like, walk that way, because I think there's a few of them over there. <laughs> like, you take your mat and walk right through Jerusalem for me. To, he, he's do, you get what he's doing right now. He could have said, look, I'm going to heal you, but please, I don't want a problem. Like, I'm here to save the world. I want to bring peace. So could you just, like, wait there, pretend you're ill for, like, another six hours? That's all it is. And then you can get up and everything will be fine. Or he could have waited. But he chooses on the Sabbath to walk to this man and says, get up, please, take your mat deliberately, take a sign that he's going to niggle the religious leaders and walk through this place. Why? Jesus was not, um, he was not running roughshod over the rules of the Sabbath. He was not saying, oh, there are rules, but you don't need to. But actually, he was fulfilling the very reason why Sabbath was in place it wasn't simply for rule keeping or stopping or providing some way in which you can get your relationship right with God the Sabbath is actually this profound prophetic image and foretaste of what God is going to do in the future right now let me just walk this through with you Genesis 1 right I think a lot of us know God creates the heavens and the earth and for six days God works, doesn't he? He's putting everything into place the heavens and the earth he's forming, he's shaping he's filling the creation with colour and life and noise and animals and then finally us six days of work and then on the seventh day what does God do? He completes the purpose of creation and he himself comes to dwell amongst us to fulfil the very purpose of making the heavens and the earth he didn't create us so that we could carry on our life without him and enjoy the trinkets of life while he stayed up on high no god creates the heavens and the earth so that he can dwell amongst us and in that place we find life and joy and healing and growth and all that we are meant to be about and this, the number seven is important in the bible because it, it speaks about completion totality and the end of something so there are six days and at the end of this week this pattern at the end god comes and there is sabbath we're told this Rest, where everything is in shalom, peace, harmony, everything is as it should be. And this becomes the pattern and the template for all of human history. So that actually we get this now broken and fractured because of your and I sin, this broken and fractured six days of work. And who knows that life can sometimes feel like hard work. You think I don't know whether I can get through this week? And yet at the very end of the Bible, we have this final perfect complete cosmic seventh day sabbath. To the end of Revelation we read this. This same moment that it gets pictured on a cosmic scale, this second final sabbath. He says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Genesis 1, end of the Bible. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with humanity. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And get this. You want a better life? Get this at the very end of the Bible. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away so this first sabbath the completion speaks of this final sabbath where one day all of history will come to its ultimate rest and everything is going to be okay and so when god institutes this seven day week what's he doing he's giving us every seven days this prophetic picture These 24 hours, this little moment that speaks about a day when not just for a day things are going to be at rest because it's so imperfect, our Sabbath today, but actually there is a day coming in the future where God is going to make everything right. So when this Sabbath day rolls around, Jesus says, I'm going to make a prophetic picture of what is going to happen. I'm going to make all sad things come untrue. I'm going to make all pain be turned into joy. I'm going to turn all the loss into gain. And he resurrects this man from his mat. And he says, this man is a picture of the future that all of us now need to look to and trust in Jesus. We now need to see there is hope coming. The end is going to be good in Jesus Christ. Look to this man. He's the, he's the prophetic picture of what's to come. And Jesus is doing something. John wants us to see this because he used this word, get up here. It sounds a bit harsh in our English, like get up. You know, like you've got to imagine, rem- Jesus was kind. You want to imagine like how's time to get up. But this is the same word that across the New Testament is used of resurrection. And this man, this would have felt like a resurrection for him. Later in chapter 521, he says, For as the Father, Jesus says, raises the dead, same word, and gives them life. So also the Son gives life to whom he will. This is Jesus, the Son of God, speaking creation power into this man's life that he might be raised from this mat knowing that he himself is going to be taken to a place of complete and utter and infinite paralysis on the cross so that he might take my shame and your shame and our sin of the world on himself and not be raised from the dead but be crippled in that place and experience all the pains of hell itself and then on the third day by the glory of his own father be raised to a brand new life so that he can speak this resurrection power to you and to me so that no matter what we go through, there is resurrection hope in this Jesus. Where there is justice that is stuck and paralyzed in this life, personal and systemic, there will be a day where Jesus will raise it to life. Where there is ill health that does not get better, and people live for a lifetime with problems. There is a day that in Jesus, he can speak a word and it will be made better. Where there are relationships that are broken and fractured and are not well, and as it were stuck, Jesus has the power, because of his own death and resurrection, to speak this life and to make things well. He can speak to dead people's souls where you feel that inside he can speak life and he can say get up my son my daughter be well he has paid for this by his own death and resurrection at the end of lord of the rings why are you laughing okay i've used him a lot recently but at the end of lord of the rings i use this quote choicely there is this moment where Samwise Ganges, after this kind of like long sleep-like coma, he awakes. If you've seen the film, you might know it. And he awakes to find G- Sam asked this question. He said, well, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. He says, is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? That's our question, right? Is everything sad? Is it possible that there could actually be a happily ever after? Is it possible that a better life is actually a possible reality for you and me? It's what we all desperately hope for, isn't it? Gandalf says this, a great shadow has departed. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter. The pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? In Jesus Christ, yes and amen. And this man is a prophetic picture of the future Reality. Yes, it comes in parts. We don't get everything downloaded the moment we trust in Jesus, but there is a day that is coming where everything will be made right. Tori and I, one of the things we love just to encourage each other with is just say, "Everything's going to be okay." And when you say that under the authority of Jesus, it's not a cliche. Literally, everything is going to be okay. All of your sadness is going to be undone one day all of your loneliness is going to be undone one day all the physical ailments that you live with are going to be done one day undone one day all of the shame that you feel in your life will one day completely be wiped away all of the pain in your life one day will be wiped away why because of jesus christ and the power of his resurrection how do we receive this We don't receive this like the world teaches us to receive it. Because the world teaches you to receive your better life through working hard, right? It says, if you work hard, do well. You know, don't listen to the haters. You just do you then you'll achieve your better life isn't it I mean I, I don't know the statistics it's just anecdotes so you can verify or not but it feels like anyone who does well today and who gets a microphone or a magazine article basically that at some point they're going to tell you well what this tells you like my achievement is that if you believe in yourself and you work hard and don't listen to the doubters you can achieve great things right isn't that what everyone tells you like anytime someone achieves something, like Olympics even, people win medals, Like this just goes to show that if you work hard and believe in yourself, that is what we're told, that we achieve our better life through doing, achieving your own moral strength. How did this man come to Jesus? He didn't come to Jesus, Jesus came to him. What did this man contribute to his resurrection, to his healing? He contributed nothing. This man was paralysed. In this passage, there is not very much in him to like i'm sorry to say this because i am sympathetic to his plight but you read this man he sells jesus out at the very end when he realizes it's politically expedient to actually not be with jesus when he finds out who jesus is he goes back and says oh i know who he is it's jesus knowing that they were after him there's nothing morally likable in this man in this passage and yet jesus comes and bypasses everything and says get up my friend be raised so how do we? we simply open up our hands and we look to Jesus? We turn away from the pools of our life. We've got a choice. Do you stay by the pools and hope against hope, against hope and probably over the years and decades grow quietly cynical about life? Or do you turn to Jesus and receive his words? And receive resurrection power into your life. The call upon every single soul today is to turn. Turn from the things that you've been hoping will make your life better. And receive from Jesus. His words. Get up my son. Get up my daughter. So we're going to close by just reflecting. I want to ask you this question. How's it going with your pool? You're like... Like just, what, what are the, some of the things you're like waiting by in your life? You're like, when this, that, when I get in there, if I can be, if I can get strong enough emotionally, spiritually, physically to get in there, then how, how goes it with your pool? I've done my own reflections. I'm not just like asking you to do it. Like, because our job is to turn from our pools. There might be good things, like enjoy them, but they're not the hope of your life. Only Jesus is going to bring resurrection power this future foretaste of what one day is going to be. And we need to turn to Jesus, amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, what a wonderful saviour you are. I wanna say thank you firstly, Lord Jesus, for, for bypassing our own quiet cynicism and our pessimism. Thank you for bypassing all of the unloveliness of our lives, Lord Jesus, that we would confess to. And Lord Jesus, we, we admit to our own helplessness, Lord Jesus. So I encourage you in this moment now as I'm praying for you to pray and just to acknowledge that if you can and you want to acknowledge your own helplessness that you couldn't even get into your pools if you tried. If you were to get there, they are not going to heal you and make your life better. And Jesus, we turn to you. Lord, what kindness, when we look up from our own map, what kindness do we see in your face? What ease do we see about you? What peace do we see about you? What easy power lies in your voice that you could speak to me and raise me spiritually from the dead? That you could speak to the cosmos and see the whole thing born again, the finality of our life complete and glorious. Jesus, the God man, we look to you today. And I pray, Lord, for everyone here, Lord. I don't know whether people are Christians or not, whether people are struggling feeling stuck and paralysed, relationally stuck, emotionally stuck, spiritually stuck. Would you help all of us look to you, take our eyes up to you, I ask. Would you pour out resurrection power that we might not be helpless ones in this generation, but we might be the ones who walk in your power, walk in your resurrection. We might be, as your church, a prophetic picture to London and the nations of all that you want to do finally, Lord God. May your wisdom and your power and your grace be on display through us. We ask in Jesus, your wonderful name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for listening.